Hi, this is Bron Burton and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Coming up to two minutes past nine, you are tuned to 102.73 Triple R, maybe listening via rrr.org.au. It's time for Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. Good morning. My name's Bron Burton. And I'm Kate Mills. Hi, Kate. Oh, I'm exceptionally well today, Bron. Excellent. Yes. It's beautiful out there. It is. Well, it's fresh. We've yeah. had some nice weather and it sort of reminds spring's on its way and all the things well, that come with it. very firmly entrenched in spring, I think. Uh, I guess we are. Maybe summer's on its way. Never oh, quite feel like that, does yeah, it? Yeah. Right. The weather yeah. hasn't quite kicked in yet. Not yet. No. Well, it sort of is and it isn't. It's sort of coming and going a bit, isn't it? Well, it's pretty much what we're all used to. Yeah. When it comes to <laughs> it, and unfortunately, we're not doing much coming and going. We're just doing a lot of staying in the one spot. But that's all going to change soon. Well, we're going to stay in the one spot till ten o'clock. We will. Hey. Uh, Thank you, Tim, very much for Vital Bits. Wonderful, as always. Three hours of Sunday morning bliss and uh, three hours yesterday as well. Thanks, Andrew, for Soulful Bits. Um, really loved the Sam Teske profile this morning. If you yep. missed it, if you're waking up or if you're just tuning in for Marinara, go back and have a listen. He's on just after 8 o'clock. Oh, and then the story's unravelling of how um, his relationship with the Teske family. Yeah. It was quite impressive and that just came off the cuff. It was just gives a deeper sort of meaning to it. It was, it was great. pretty cool. Um, so thank you, Tim. You can catch Tim, of course, next Saturday morning at 6am for uh, another six hours of Soulful Bits over next weekend. On today's program, we're shortly going to be joined by our very own cabin boy, Brett Ditchfield, who covers all things relating to sailing. And he's going to be talking about the uh, 1983 America's Cup and how it changed the world. So that'll be a nice little glimpse back into yesteryear. Yeah, it threw up a few memories when you brought up that as a topic. Yeah. I actually got to touch the wind kill when I was a kid, yes. Mm. I said I was never going to wash my hand, just so you know, I have washed my hand since, it's fine. <laughs> please, <laughs> I was pretty excited as a it. kid, yeah. It's like, what, 38 years? Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you've washed your hand yeah. sometime in the last 38 years. Um, so, yeah, really looking forward to uh, to hearing all about that. That's all I know in terms of what he's uh, going to be talking about, so that would be good. Um, we are then going to catch up with Dave Donnelly from Killer Whales Australia and the Dolphin Research Institute. He's going to be talking a bit about um, the latest migration patterns of our whales coming down the coast. Um, they've sort of gone up the coast and done their U-turn and heading back down with their babies down to Antarctica for the summer and some coming from the west side as well. So that will be interesting. Dave's also going to be talking uh, about... Um, he's just sent me this message this morning, the Port Phillip Common Dolphin Catalogue this week. It's the first of its kind. So I'm not going to say any more about that. I'm going to let Dave Dave do that one. Do that one, yeah. Um, We are then going to be speaking with Charles Reese. He is the spokesperson for the Flinders Community Association about Flinders uh, and uh, talking to him a bit about the group, who they are and some of their current interests, including the proposed works at Flinders Pier we've been talking. This has really been the subject of 2021 for us, hasn't it? It has. We've had a few different people on talking about that, so it'd be good to get some more information around that. Yeah. Looking forward to hearing uh, what Charles has to say and also um, an event which is taking place today, it's an online event, from 10.30 until 12 o'clock looking at whether community energy might be possible in Flinders, so potentially for a zero 
carbon target. So, Geez, they're busy down at Flinders, aren't they? <laughs> Covering <laughs> a lot of bases. Yeah. Awesome. And then to close the show, uh, our very own Jeff Maynard with Soundwave's sequels. He'll be presenting the movie monster you did not see coming. These are Jeff's words. And it's all to do with the tunnel under the Yarra. Get your marine scientists on. <laughs> there will be questions. Wow. What's lurking Cannot wait. Cannot wait. <laughs> Um, should we have a look at today's weather forecast? Let's have a look at today's weather. As I said, it is nice out there at the moment. It's only going to get to a top of 15, but you know, get out there and get amongst it. Um, tomorrow's going to be 21. That's going to carry through to Wednesday. I think last week it was meant to rain all week, and when it rained, it really rained, and then it didn't. It was one of those un- spring spring weather, basically. Yeah. I think we've got more of that in store. You know, Thursday, 18, Friday, 15, and then back down to well, on Friday. Saturday will be 15 as well. The tides at the moment, um, we've got high tide at the head at 3.30 at Port Phillip Heads, so that'll be for most of the coastal beaches as well. And then if you're inside the bay, the high tide's going to be at 6 o'clock tonight at Williamstown, so some of those areas. There's a little bit of swell around at the moment i think the wind's a little bit onshore but um it's not too strong yet i'm sure those who can are already um, making plans to get out there and get amongst it um and that's it for today get out there excellent i have a little forecast for antarctica yes what's going on down there oh they had a great get together yesterday i saw some photos on cliff's social page um just getting out there and amongst it and no particular reason, just because. Having a couple of beers in the sunshine in <laughs> minus eight degrees. Felt like summer to them, I think. You wouldn't need a stubby holder, would you? <laughs> <laughs> no, you wouldn't. I guess the challenge would be keeping it um, from yeah. not freezing. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, air temperature today, minus 10.8, with the wind chill factor to minus 25.1 and uh, 40 knot winds. Woof. Yeah. You'd struggle to have some beers in that weather, I reckon. And yellow travel conditions, often when we see Cliff's weather report, it's green travel conditions, which I think means you can, you know, it's obviously safe. It'll be a standard traffic light system. But uh, wondering what yellow means, Cliff will possibly send us a message about that. It's another excuse to get Cliff on. We can talk about their um, traffic light system for doing work. For travel conditions and what it means. to know more, yeah. And uh, Cliff's also posted, well, he hasn't posted, he sent us via our Facebook Messenger a, uh, a link to, oh, Live webcam, Casey Research Station Antarctica webcam. Cool. Thanks, Cliff. We'll post that That'll on be our... one to share on the socials. Yeah, definitely. We'll oh. do that after the show. And I've got another one here for us to share on the socials, Bron. The, as you know, the Great Victorian Fish Count is on its way. It's going to kick off in mid-November, the 12th to be exact, and run through to mid-December. We've already got a lot of groups involved and a lot of um, locations are going to be running fish counts this year, which is fantastic. But in the lead-up, we, which I'm, by that I mean ReefWatch, are hosting inspiring talks to get people excited and remind them how awesome our local environment is. So this year's theme for the fish count is Across the Great Southern Reef. Um, the Great Southern Reef is something that Radio Marinara has been banging on about for over the 20 years that it's been in existence. And the two speakers are going to actually be working at the moment to improve everyone's understanding and appreciation of the Great Southern Reef. It's something that is often overlooked when we go talking about great reefs. Mm. Um, So the first up is Sahira Bell, who, among many things, is the lead scientist that got the Hope Spot champion for the Great Southern Reef. So I actually got it designated as a Mission Blue Hope Spot. And if you're not familiar with the Mission Blue Hope Spot, it is run by Her Royal Deepness, Sylvia Earle. Ah. And it is to basically highlight places that haven't been 
and I use the word screwed over so much by the human population mm. um, and providing hope. So these are areas that we need to look after and we need to sort of maintain. So she was involved in getting that over the line, the Great Southern Reef nominated and actually designated as a Mission Blue Hope spot. So she's going to talk about her work and then just her love of the Great Southern Reef. And the other presenter is going to be Prue Francis, who we've had on the show, um, who is a um, person that's passionate about the Great Southern Reef but also ocean literacy and it was something that I hadn't really been all that aware of I guess we would consider ourselves ocean literate people but it's something that's not covered that much in schools so she's actually doing work to try and get an idea of why what are the roadblocks in getting it and then some of the solutions that she's sort of working on to getting more kids familiar with marine science and using the literature that's out there to um, educate kids around it and she's also written a book so hopefully we're going to get a bit of a sneak preview as to what she's got in there about the great southern reef so details will be on the reef watch, reef watch facebook page uh, radio marinara will share it or just go to humanitics and type in great victorian fish count and the tickets are free it's online of course it's thursday the 14th and we kick off at 7 30 for an hour so love to see people jump on enjoy that what time was that on thursday again that is 7 30 at night so you can sit down with your drink or sit down with your dinner it's a webinar so no one can see what you're doing so wear whatever you like and drink whatever you want (laughs) (laughs) so it's always uh interesting at that time of the night i've had a couple of online meetings at that time for various things and i'm thinking oh you know how casual do i go Extremely. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Good to hear. Hey, speaking of ocean literacy, um, we had uh, a couple of messages during the week from listeners. One was from Robert, who uh, actually this one dated right back in March. So I've already uh, replied to you, Robert, with an apology for not replying earlier. Sometimes we miss messages. It just, I guess, depends on what's happening in any given week. So um, thanks for reaching out again. Letting us know about uh, a a book that he's done with BirdLife Australia uh, on their beach nesting birds. It's called The Wing Thing booklet uh we'll put a link to that on our facebook page so you can check it out and maybe download it it's a downloadable pdf just via BirdLife. but thanks for letting us know about that one and um when we catch up with prue to talk more about ocean literacy i'm keen to uh to talk to robert too maybe <laughs> putting it out there for you if you want robert totally up to you um but also you know it's so important about helping kids understand the marine environment it's quite a special skill to be able to do that so how do, you, how do you go about doing that? So, I, know, I imagine most of our listeners have lots of marine kid books floating around their house, whether they've got kids or not. It's something you seem to be drawn to. But, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see – well, to talk to Prue. We're going to get her back on the show in a few weeks yeah. and talk to her about that. Um, and uh, this one I wanted to uh, just give a little shout-out to as well, um, to Julia, who reached out to us and uh, wanted to know about a, an uh, episode that we did some years ago on Australian cephalopods. And uh, I recall the episode, Kay, but for the life of me, I cannot remember when or where. I'm going to go into uh, into our archives and see if I can find it. But really just wanted to give a shout-out, Julia, to your child. She's uh, She says, my kid is doing a Kefla podcast for school. Oh, oh nice. How awesome <laughs> is that? And uh, hoping to find the episode from the archives. So, Julia, I will... Uh, <laughs> do my best and uh, and see if I can locate it. But just wanted to mention that there are kids out there doing a careful podcast. Brilliant. What a great idea. Such a good pun. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's one of those, oh, why didn't we think of that? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, it's 9.13 and you are listening to Radio Marinara. And in just a moment, we'll be speaking with our cabin boy about the um, uh, America's Cup in 1983 and how it changed the world. Time to welcome in our cabin boy. Good morning, cabin boy. 
Good morning, Bron. Good morning, Cade. Good morning, panel beater. How are you? Good morning, Brett. I can see you on the screen and you look like you're having far too much fun in the studio. <laughs> we'll turn the screen around so you can see us. There well, we go. It's just interesting, the glimpse behind, the smooth voices across the airwaves and there's all kinds of uh, kind of signalling and laughing going on behind the scenes. <laughs> Excellent. All right, so we've given you a bit of a rev up this morning, the 1983 America's Cup. I want to start with a quote. Any boss who sacks a worker for not turning up today is a bum. <laughs> so said Bob Hawke. He might have been a few beers in, but uh, he was very, very excited about us winning the America's Cup. What time of the morning was that that he said it? And why was he a few beers in at that time? <laughs> well, I was trying to remember, like, because I stayed up because it was very early morning. Yes. So um, I can't remember the exact time. And I was late for work that day, so uh, but didn't get sacked because actually I worked for my father that, at that stage, so that would have been a little bit uh, embarrassing. So, Brett, I was, um, I was in high school and I was watching it. I got up early to watch it and, um, and I kind of pulled the whole, oh, we don't have to go to school because the Prime Minister said right, because that applies to us too, right? <laughs> didn't, it didn't work. Well, that rates up there with 9-11. I didn't go to work that morning too. So those are the only two things that I haven't gone to. Well, there's a few other things, <laughs> but, but few world kind of uh, changing issues that I haven't gone on. You know, 9-11 and us winning the America's Cup. Yeah, right. A um, bit of history on the America's Cup before we get into 1983. It started way back in 1985 when um, the British Royal Yacht Squadron issued a challenge to sail around the Isle of Wight. So it was called the Honey, the 100 Guinea Cup and was often referred to as the Old Mug. So open invitation. Hey, Brett, you just said 1985. I assume you mean 1885. Oh. 1851. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? I can't. I don't know what. Well, you know, any boss who's sex worker for getting that date wrong. <laughs> 1851. So, right. yes, you weren't in high school then, Bron. No. <laughs> Some days I feel like I might have been. Well, anyway, um, the USA, the New York Yacht Club, sent the schooner America across the uh, Atlantic. And they trounced all comers. So they won the first, well, it wasn't even called the America's Cup there. They took it home and they said, let's call it the America's Cup and then have a race every couple of years between two other boats. And that happened. They held that cup all the way up until 1983 against, uh, it was mainly England, Canada and Australia back then. But it took to 100 and... I think it was 143 years or something, 132 years before uh, we uh, someone actually beat them to it. So that was pretty damn good. We tried in the past. We tried um, in 1962 with Gretel. And then in the coming years, we had Dame Paddy, Gretel 2, and uh, the Southern Cross. And we also had a few other Australia-named boats. But it wasn't until 1983 where, of course, Australia 2 with that Finn Keel went across. So um, now you've touched it, the I, wing keel. Kate. I did, yeah. It um, came on the back of a truck through Geelong when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and so all the, I think all the schools were down there looking at the boat and, yeah, you were able to line up and touch the, the keel. Because I think it is in the uh, museum in um, Perth or Fremantle, isn't it? I, I don't, not 100% sure of that, but I'm pretty sure it is. I'm pretty sure it's in, I think it's in Fremantle. 
Yeah, yeah. So Australia 2, it was uh, put on by the, or it was a Royal Perth Yacht Club syndicate uh, headed by the late Alan Bond. We won't need to go into details about uh, Alan Bond uh, and he's, well, the end there. Uh, it was designed by Ben Lexon and skippered by John Bertrand and then crewed by, I guess, the, uh, the creme de la creme of Australian sailors. 12-metre yachts. Now, often people get think they're 12 metres long, but it's not. It's a, it's a funny sail thing that a lot of the sailing things do. It's, it, it's a bunch of measurements that have to measure 12 metres. So you can have a longer mast. You'll have to have a shorter keel. If you have a, a longer hull, it might have to be skinnier. So it's in a box. So it has to, it has to equal 12 metres. And the big thing about Australia 2, of course, was that wing keel. Uh, they say revolutionary, but there's not too many boats after Australia 2 that have got a wing keel. So I don't know whether it was more cloak and dagger, smoke and mirrors, and actually sight the Americans out, or whether they did have a little advantage over it or not. So it's a placebo, is that what you were saying it was, well, potentially? Well, back then, remember they used to take it out of the water and it was a big hoo-ha, they had to skirt around it so no yeah. one can see. They yeah. accused the New York Yacht Club of sending divers in to spy on the keel. <laughs> yeah. And even the New York Yacht Club took them to court about the keel, saying it's not uh, part of being a 12-metre and it's not designed in Australia. Because apparently it was... Um, tested in um in by dutch engineers in their water tank and all that so they were trying to overrule it and get australia too they were worried so i think the uh the smoke and mirrors worked a little bit psyched them out a bit now of course um the opposition dennis connor he was quite a uh, character too bit of a, an arrogant kind of new yorker and all that so i remember the swagger Oh yeah, well, there was a hundred and uh, what, 132 years of swagger there. We're not going to lose this race. <laughs> and they actually won the first two races, so it looked like it was all over and done. It was going to like I think the most it had been to four races in the past years. So they had a right to swagger. So, but Australia too finally uh, finally got them together. Now I think they run the third race. America got the fourth, then we came back with the fifth and sixth. Never gone to six races and never, of course, gone to seven. So the seventh was the determining uh, race. America got the uh, won the start, but Australia, even though they lost, didn't quite get the start, they were in a better position. And America led all the way to the uh, second last leg where uh, Dennis Connor didn't quite cover Australia too, and we got a little bit of a lead at the last rounding mark due to a couple of wind shifts. And then that last leg, I don't know, I, I can still remember it. There was about 50 tacks. They were covering each other. It was back and forth. And like with sailing, you never know who's ahead. It's like, what are they doing on that side? And then they're on that side. And it was back and forth. And it was probably, yeah, the most kind of, I don't know, magnificent part of sailing yeah, to ever be on TV and that. So, yeah, and we crossed the line 42 seconds ahead of America and that was it. That moment when you're talking about where we suddenly kind of took the lead, I remember being a teenager and screaming at the TV. Yes. And I don't even remember, <laughs> like I, at the time, I didn't kind of even really, it was purely from the commentary, like, just how, how revved up, 
going right back to it now, how, how revved up we all were watching this and kind of seeing that turning point where suddenly we realised that we, were, we actually had the potential to win it. And then, as you said, like it was all over. And then that final moment where, where the, the, the gun went off, the yeah. cannon or whatever it was, they like, realised that, that we'd won it. And I reckon at least 60 to 80% of the audience watching that morning had no idea what was going on. They were just <laughs> cheering for seeing these two boats slowly crawl across the line until that gun went off. What would it have been like to be on that boat at the time, Brett? Like, because, of course, this is pre-internet days. It's pre a lot of the like the instant um, communications that we have now we wouldn't have had. I suppose we would have had... Um, other ways of communicating. But what would it have been like to be on the boat, do you think, back then? Well, it would have just been unbelievable. I reckon they would have been in shock once they crossed that line because, you know, for all those years, and I mean, all that money and effort to go into it because, you know, you think they're just sitting on the boat, but they were trained athletes because they're grinding winches, you know, every second. They would have been, the uh, the crew would have been absolutely exhausted by the end of it because they were swapping sails too if uh, if they thought, that the wind was increasing by five knots, they'd whip up another headsaw in that. So, well, the, it would have been, it was um, that much, that excitement, and it got back to Australia that quick that, you know, as I said, Bob Hawke was a couple of cans in before uh, he could uh, finally <laughs> say something about it. So uh, I reckon there was a lot of alcohol drunk and spilled <laughs> after that win. Awesome. Yeah. Any, um, anything to close on, Brett? Well, I was going to say, just uh, from out of that, from 1983, the pop culture references, of course, was the boxing kangaroo. How iconic was that? The uh, kangaroo with the red boxing gloves. And also the Men at Work song, uh, the um, I Come From a Lound Down, Down Under, mm. that was always boomed across. And that was quite intimidating too, I reckon, uh, across the airwaves uh, to uh, intimidate the Americans. And, of course, Toyota... Uh, launched the Lexan, which was named after oh, yeah. Ben Lexan oh, too. So yeah, in honour of Ben Lexan, who actually died age 52 uh, from a heart attack back in 1988, which was, uh, yeah, he was a big loss to the uh, yachting world there. Hey, we got a message from Candace who says, I remember the America's Cup so well. My dad was up watching the TV and yelling at around 7am. So yes, <laughs> that's right. And uh, Hawk was over there in the US, so he would have been into the afternoons drinking when he said it. <laughs> And he ah, had the green you. jacket on, green <laughs> yeah. jacket on too, remember? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Candace. Would have been heady days over there. <laughs> yeah. And I've just, um, been, I've just been having a look while you've been on. The Australia 2 is now among the collections of the Western Australian Maritime Museum at Fremantle. Yeah, yeah. Um, where were you last year when the America's Cup was on? <laughs> Probably home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just want to point, point out made. New Zealand did win last year's. Yeah. I was going to talk about it, but we just didn't have time for it. So yeah, so yeah, New Zealand beat New Ze uh, New Zealand beat Italy last March 2021. So yeah, so no one cares about after 1983. No one cared about the America's Cup again <laughs> until we win it next time. <laughs> oh yeah. Is there one this year, Brett? Um, no, it's I. I don't think it's scheduled for oh. it's whoever, whenever the defender decides. Right. So it's a funny oh. thing. They decide what boat it's in, where it's going to be, uh, and when it's going to be. So that's yet to be announced. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, 1983 America's Cup, it changed the world. It did. <laughs> <laughs> and if you haven't seen it, it's worth tracking down the footage because there's been and documentaries and telemovies and all sorts of things made, out, made about it since then. 
Well, there's a good one called Wind. Uh, it's a 1992 movie, and it goes on about the the win and also what went on for the next America's Cup. So check that out because it's got pretty authentic sailing um, action in it, yeah. unlike most sailing movies. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Captain Boy. All right, I'm going off for a beer. No. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> Thanks, we'll catch you next time. Bye. See you there. Fred uh, Ditchfield, our cabin boy. That was fun. That was fantastic, yeah. This is the lift we all Flashbacks. need. Flashbacks. Yes. In a recent survey, 88.5% of marine scientists said that people who do not subscribe to 3RRR not only detrimentally affect their own health, but probably kill dolphins. Subscribe to 3RRR. It's good for your health and will probably save dolphins and whales and baby seals and those cute little octopus things. <laughs> it's one of those days. <laughs> hey, 9.32, speaking of dolphins, time to catch up with Dave Donnelly from the Dolphin Research Institute and Killer Whales Australia. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Brian, and good morning, Kate. Good morning, Dave. What's up, sir? Well, I am enjoying a beautiful sunny morning down here in Mornington. Very nice. <laughs> Why wouldn't you, if you could? <laughs> hey, what's been happening with um, whale migrations? They're, we're guessing that they're making... Well, we've seen some spectacular footage of, uh, of whales. There was a megapod feeding frenzy off the New South Wales south coast a few weeks ago. Um, what's been happening? Well, it's been quite busy, actually, uh, despite the fact that we're not allowed to go and look at whales, um, at least in, unless we live on the coast. Um, we are seeing through the eyes of our friends who are in the uh, rural areas uh, the arrival of the very, very first humpback whale calves of the season coming through, which is a little bit early but spectacular. I mean, it's just amazing to see the, the imagery and the, and obviously the uh, the accounts that people are having from uh, around places like Wilson's Promontory with, uh, with Wildlife Coast Cruises, who have always been fantastic at, at keeping us informed. Um, when we come out of lockdown to a degree, I guess, in a few weeks' time, we still need to wait and find out um, what the details of that are going to be. Will, will there still be an opportunity for people to go out and see the whales? Yeah, look, it's um, the, the season really is just kicking in for our region, but unfortunately it's sort of it's more isolated towards the east of the state. We are getting some sightings across as far as Warrnambool and, and through the central Bass Strait zone, but really the, the action's happening around that Wilson Promontory and 90 Mile Beach area at the moment, and that'll, that'll extend through till about mid-November, and then they'll start to taper off uh, with a few stragglers coming through late November and maybe even into December. And is it mostly southern rights or humpbacks or a bit of a mix? It's pretty much all humpbacks now. Southern rights left our coast um, about the mid-last month. The last ones were seen over in the west of the state. And uh, they picked up their calves and they've left. They spent about 60 to 65 days along our coast uh, giving birth and raising their calves, preparing them for their journey south to the southern Antarctic areas. So, uh, yeah, all, it's all about the humpbacks right now. But interestingly, we have, heard, have had word of some blue whales showing up very early uh, this year. So uh, fingers crossed that that starts to pick up as the bonny upwelling starts to fire towards the uh, close, yes, sort of close towards the end of the year. Well, how exciting. And you've been out doing aerial surveys. How's that been? 
I don't even want to ask. <laughs> We're yeah, that's really been, <laughs> that's been really interesting. Um, obviously, we 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 uh, it, it's a, it's a job. It's it's not sort of so so much fun as as such, like it is to go out on a boat and uh, enjoy um, spectacular views. But um, yeah, we've we've got some good coverage of the of the Bass Strait areas and then and enjoying some great sights, which is fantastic. And that includes some of the whales and dolphins that are inhabiting our areas. And as you mentioned, uh, on the southeast coast, or sorry, southern coast of New South Wales, some uh, large feeding aggregations that seems to be happening all the way down the coast um, including around Wilson's Prom where the, where the whales are being sighted by the tour boats so um, yeah there is aggregations but there's also heaps of animals feeding all the way down our coastline even into Tasmania so the productivity in the ocean right now particularly just over those shelf breaks and coming onto the plateau seems to be really active this year which is fantastic for it's great news for the animals uh, it's also great news for us who like to enjoy seeing these spectacular sights yeah and some of that footage of um, of the whales kind of almost turning on their sides and opening their mouths and just sort of having everything go in. It's, it's mind-blowing how good the footage is. So, um, yeah, incredible. Hey, we'll have to move on in just a second. I'm keen to get you back to talk about what we're what you're about to announce, actually. You've got a, an exciting announcement um, in more detail maybe next week. Um, but tell us about this uh, very exciting catalogue that's about to be put out. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. 16 years of um, monitoring common dolphins in Port Phillip in Victoria um, and we're finally getting around to consolidating a comprehensive catalogue. There's always been a catalogue that existed but not one that's available to the public and that's the aim of the game is to make things accessible to people, discoverable and more importantly readable to the general person who's sitting on the cliff rather than having some weird code that no one understands. We're going to say that's dolphin number one and that's got a name as well. Uh, so look, we look forward to launching. I'd love to come back, have a chat to you, run you through it and uh, see what sort of interest we can generate. That'll be brilliant. Let's do that uh, next week if we can and if not the week after, Dave. Fantastic, Ron. Look forward to it. Awesome. And um, any anywhere people can go uh, to sort of get more information on whales and dolphins? Uh, yeah, you can visit the Dolphin Research Institute website. If you like, that's uh, www.dolphinresearch.org uh, um, or, of course, as, as everyone does, Facebook. Because <laughs> all the experts live in Facebook world. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Okay, awesome. Um, thanks, Dave. Um, we'll put some links on our Facebook page, as always, and uh, catch you next week. Good on you guys. Look forward to it. Have a great day. Thanks. See you, Dave. See ya. Bye for now. Bye, Dave Donnelly there. And, uh, yeah, amazing stuff. Seems just bigger than ever, Cade. Yeah, looking forward to hearing him back on the show. I want to know more about this catalogue. Yeah, me too. Brilliant. Now, the Victorian township of Flinders has been in the media a bit over the last few months, and if you listen to Radio Marinara regularly, you'll know we've caught up with Parks Victoria on a couple of occasions to discuss the works proposed to address some safety risks at Flinders Pier. Our chats with Parks Victoria began when we learned about the works because of some concerns raised by the Flinders Community Association, primarily because they were concerned about the risks of the proposed works to the resident weedy sea dragon population. To find out more about Flinders Community Association, their current concerns about the pier and also a great event taking place today, we welcome to Triple R spokesperson Charles Rees. Good morning, Charles. Welcome to Radio Marinara. Good morning, Brian. Morning, Kate. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, great to have you with us. Now, we'd expect many people listening uh, to uh, you and to us know about Flinders and how much people love Flinders, but perhaps for those listening overseas or interstate, could you describe the township of Flinders for us? Yeah, sure thing, Bron. So Flinders is on the morning to Peninsula, about an hour's drive from Melbourne. Um, the best way to describe it is really a village where rural meets coastal. So it's surrounded by rolling hills, whichever direction you approach Flinders from. 
uh, it still has a very strong and vibrant rural community that goes nearly all the way down to the edge of the sea onto Western Port Bay. And, um, and, and Flinders is the, the epicentre of, um, of, of that area. Um, it's a township with about 600 households and a permanent population of about eight or 900 people. Um, it's still uh, it's still largely as it, as it once was. It, it's sort of it's a place where the, the time is forgotten in, in some respects. And the Flinders Community Association uh, appreciates the the um, both the, the the environmental form and the built form are, are very precious and unique. So um, our group was established, in fact, right back in the 1970s to to try and um, preserve. Uh, the, the character of Flinders and, and everything that uh, that defines it. You must have seen some pretty big changes since the 1970s. Um, Flinders Pier was actually my very first dive, which was back in 1990, so uh, it's quite some time ago. And uh, and even I had I had a period of um, probably 10 years or so uh, where I, I hadn't gone to Flinders and went back and saw some massive changes in that time. Um, it must be something that you've observed as well. Uh, it is, it is. Um, I think that uh, the Flinders is evolving all the time and, and you can't stop change, you can't stop progress, but you can influence. And I think that's one of the things that the Flinders Community Association has worked really hard and and succeeded in doing in many ways. So there have been um, proposals, to, for example, to build a 24-hour um, service station and convenience store, which doesn't fit with the character of Flinders that, that we, we were successfully pushed back. Um, there have been plans to build a convention centre in the middle of Flinders, which looks like it'll proceed, but it's going to proceed in a different form to that what than to that what was originally proposed. Um, the Flinders Community Association has also um, worked hard to improve safety in the village. So, for example, reducing speed limits, um, introducing pedestrian crossings, and, and that sort of thing. Um, it's pushing ahead now with um, the redevelopment of the Flinders Village Hall for the local community, uh, public toilets in the car park, um, community garden, and, and so the list goes on. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, the Flinders Pier, which is the one project that, that I uh, feel most passionate about. So we first became aware of your group, Charles, when we saw a report on the ABC News about your group's concerns and um, proposed works on the pier and what that might mean for the resident Weedy Sea Dragons. Why was your group so concerned at the time? So I think for a number of reasons. Firstly, um, this proposal came out of the blue. So we have the Flinders Pier Master Plan prepared by Parks Victoria um, that talks extensively about the long-term preservation of the pier. So when we learnt that uh, that the pier was going to be um, the the uh, first 180 metres of the pier were going to be demolished, that came out of the blue. So we're caught completely by surprise. We called a public meeting at the Flinders Hall. We had about 300 people who attended, um, and uh, and amongst that group were were. Um, a number of divers who said, what about the weedy sea dragon? How is that going to impact? And, and that was really the, the catalyst for us to try and actually understand um, the population of the weedy sea dragon. A lot of work has, has been done on the weedy sea dragon to actually understand its habitat. And of course, now we're, we, we're, we're learning more just in the last few months. So it's very dynamic and unfolding, but it would now appear that the population of the weedy sea dragon that habitates the area around the Mornington Peninsula is actually a unique species. So Parks Victoria talk about 
um, the, the frequency of the weedy sea dragon right across um, the eastern seaboard of Australia, uh, down into Tasmania, uh, what we're now finding is that uh, the weedy sea dragon population that populates Flinders is quite is quite unique. And, and furthermore, um, when we look at the work that's been done to try and understand the juvenile population of the weedy sea dragon, that, um, that they actually populate the shallower waters. So um, it's not as simple as saying, well, we're going to pull it out, it's not going to have any impact. You know, every action, there's a reaction of some form. Um, but, the, but the question for us is why, why demolish it at all? And, and that's the question we can't get an answer to. The idea of the concrete pier was to separate vehicles from pedestrian traffic. So um, there are a lot of trawl trawlers, fishing boats that come in and out of Flinders Pier. There's the pilot boat. And so there are refueling vehicles on the pier all the time. There are ice trucks and delivery vans and all sorts of things. So up until now, we've separated the pedestrians from their vehicular traffic, and that's worked very well and kept everyone very safe. But uh, Parks Victoria want to remove the timber pedestrian section, and they want the vehicles and the people to share this common concrete pathway, uh, which we think is is a significant safety risk. Uh, and then, of course, the third point is around its historic significance. So we've had timber pier there since 1864. Uh, yes, it has been rebuilt and realigned at different times, but it has uh, enormous historic value to the community. If you go, and you, as, as you would remember when you've been down there yourself, Bron, that you've got those old um, cargo sheds so if you took the cars away, it's like stepping back in time when you actually stand down there at the pier and you can imagine exactly what this looked like, uh, you know, more than 150 years ago when, when they, they laid the cable, telegraph cable down to Tasmania. So there's three issues here, I think. There's the issue, of, from what I'm hearing you say, uh, around the sea dragons themselves. Um, and uh, we'll come back and talk about this one. We might have to set up another time. I'm just looking at the clock as well. Um, but the report that um, Parks Victoria has commissioned seems to have kind of almost... Uh, uh, Relate. What am I trying to say? The 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 concerns about the weedy sea dragon seem to have been put to bed, but we'll come back to that one. Um, the safety risk, which is really, from what I understand, why these proposals have gone ahead in the first place. And then there's the heritage factor. I'm wondering if we can move straight to the heritage values, um, and uh, because this is why you reached out to us uh, on our Facebook page a couple of weeks ago. Uh, where is your group at in terms of the the your your value of Flinders Pier uh, in terms of its heritage values and and what will your group be doing, I guess, over the next couple of months while Heritage Victoria undertakes its assessment? So there's really little anybody can do. Um, as far as what we're going to do is we're going to continue to raise awareness. Um, uh, in terms of the, the value of the pier to the community on the Mornington Peninsula, um, I think that cuts across a number of different social and cultural issues as well. So... We know that the Flinders Pier is a very popular fishing place for people who come down from the northern suburbs, from the eastern suburbs, the southeast. Uh, they come down, they represent a myriad of different nationalities. It's a very popular meeting place um, and, and people enjoy the amenity of the pier as a fishing spot. Uh, then, of course, in terms of the historic value of the pier itself, um, uh, the realignment, the late... The most recent realignment occurred about 50 years ago. But when you look at the context of the timber pier and you look at the cargo sheds, you, it, you can't just remove one and say this is now something that um, 
that is still the same. It's not. Um, you've actually altered a valuable historic artefact. And, and then, of course, um, uh, you've got that whole issue of safety that we've covered. Charles, we'll have to move on um, just because we have our, our third uh, segment uh, ready to go. But um, there's a whole lot of stuff that we still need to unpack here. And I'm uh, thinking perhaps in, in a, a month or so's time as this develops a little bit further, maybe as the Heritage Victoria assessments are underway. Um, we'd love to have you back on the program if that's OK. Yeah. Sure thing, Brian, I'd love that. And uh, just a quick plug for the event that's happening today, the uh, Flinders Zero Carbon um, event is Community Energy Possible in Flinders. Would you like to give that one a super quick plug? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we would like to be carbon neutral by 2030. And, uh, and so the community is coming together today online to see how we can achieve that outcome. Great. So you can, there's a Zoom link which you'll need to get. Um, it actually takes, it's underway in about 40 minutes time. So you can register via Try Booking. It's pretty easy to find. You can actually just go to uh, your association webpage actually because the link's pretty obvious from there. Uh, quick quick uh, announcement. Well, just let us know what your uh, webpage is. Okay, so um, you just Google Flinders Village and, uh, and the link will come up. And likewise on Facebook. Great. Thanks, Charles. Been great speaking with you. Okay, Bron. Thank you. Cheers okay, now. bye Bye-bye. for now. Charles Rees there from the Flinders Community Association. It's nine minutes to ten, nearly eight minutes to ten. You're listening to Radio Marinette here on 3 Triple R. Quick, uh, quick uh, sting, I reckon. Thanks, Kent. And we'll just get Jeff on the program. Hi, this is Tony Barber. Do you like fish? Or maybe marine invertebrates? Listen to Radio Marinara for all things wet and salty. Sundays at 9am on 102.7 3 Triple R. Nice one, Kate. Hey, without further ado, let's uh, welcome to Radio Marinara Jeff Maynard. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Bron. How are you? Yeah, well, thanks. How are you? Uh, no time for pleasantries today, Bron. Yes, um, this is a serious Soundwave sequels. Uh, as you know, this year we're doing movie spin-offs or movie uh, sequels, and uh, particularly bad ones. And for some reason, we've been getting a lot of Jaws spin-offs. And I've found a bad one today. But what I've really found is a kind of warning for everybody in Melbourne. So I hope Dan Andrews is missing, uh, is listening, because uh, this one is uh, relevant uh, to, to everybody in Melbourne. Now, in any sort of Jaws spin-off, what you do, first of all, is you, uh, you find a body washed up on the beach in mysterious circumstances, and you have to try and figure out what it is. And that's what happens here. We find the body on the beach mysteriously and we have the scary Jaws music. Now, here's a little heads up for any budding movie directors out there. If you're looking for a rip-off Jaws music, um, harpsichord does not work. Um, <laughs> the Adam family killed harpsichord. It doesn't work. But anyway, uh, Kent, let's have a listen to track one and find our body on the beach. That's Bill. That's a skeleton. What the hell happened to it? A medical examiner will tell us. In the meantime, let's not be guessing out loud too much. That tunnel they're building in the harbor, they're using equipment Buck Rogers couldn't dream of, like a big mobile tube that sucks its way right through the ocean floor, passes up loose rocks and tosses them out behind. Maybe Bill got pulled down into one of them. What about the baby? It wasn't any place near the tunnel site. Do me a favor, will you? 
Don't play up the sensational stuff. I don't say mysterious circumstances and strange occurrences. Huh? <laughs> wow. Now, we're drilling a tunnel under the bay, and, of course, in Melbourne, we've got the Westgate Tunnel being drilled at the moment, and that's where my concern... I mean, yes, I'm seriously concerned about the weedy sea dragon down at Flinders Jetty. I think all divers are, but we're also drilling tunnels under the Yarra River, and I think we have some warnings here. Anyway, what happens when we start drilling tunnels under things is we find skeletons with the flesh sucked off them. <laughs> um, and we have to get divers to go down. Now, how a diver can go down to a tunnel, because the tunnel's actually under the earth, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, we send divers down to find out why we've got skeletons with flesh sucked off them. So let's have a listen to track two. Now I'll show you the torso. There's barely any cartilage left of the joints to hold the frame together. And inside the bones, even the marrow has been sucked dry. But how did he die? I don't know of anything that would operate with a vacuum effect of stripping a human being right down to the bone. There must be something monstrous out there. Have you suddenly become a marine expert? No, but I know the best in the country. Well, if you're talking about Will Gleason, two of his divers are coming down to check the underwater effects of that tunnel construction. Sound decision. Arriving when? Sometime tomorrow. Maybe too late. <laughs> so... We get Sorry, I think I got me tracks mixed up there. But anyway, we get our divers and they go down and they swim around and they come up and they... At this point, Bron, I want the listeners to be trying to guess what sort of monster this is because we might have one down by the Arrow River. So let's have a listen to track three and we'll send the divers down this time to try and figure out what it is. Well, I'll tell you one damn thing. There was no accident and ripped that stuff apart down there. There is something monstrous going down there. The Trojan Tunnel Company has been using high-pitched frequency way the hell beyond the legal limit. Somehow, they've damaged the underwater fauna. I'm almost positive of that. That goes for the dead fish. It's ripped up things down there. What could have done all that? There's only one thing big enough or powerful enough. Are you thinking about sharks? No, I'm thinking... Oh. <laughs> See the way I did that? <laughs> So we've got something down there, and um, can you guess what it is? Well, uh, you probably won't, but it's to do with, and I don't know how this works, it's a little above my pay grade, um, but something to do with when they're making the tunnel, they're using sound frequency, and it's uh, and whatever the legal limits of sound frequency are, I've got no idea either, um, but the sound vibrations have aroused something um, so let's let's go straight. To, I won't keep you in suspense, Bron. Let's go to track four, and we'll find out what this monster is. Well, I always thought of an octopus as being harmless, even shy. <laughs> Something set this one off. I've um, read that the suckers on a tentacle are like the claws of a tiger. Compared to suckers on a tentacle, claws are nothing. My God, the race! How many miles is that Coast Guard warning good for? Just the local sector, thirty miles. Would a giant squid's range be greater than 30 miles? Who the hell knows? We have a coast guard widen the danger zone area. We got to keep those kids from going in the water. It's got to be destroyed, that thing. Giant squid or octopus? Well, I, well you're the marine biologist. <laughs> <laughs> They're just big things with tentacles. I mean, what's the. the is it true? They're all the same. It's semantics. <laughs> squids have 10 or something? Is that, is that correct? It is. 
Yes. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. See, we've learned something. Okay, <laughs> we've learned something. Uh, Brian, one for you. Um, what's the plural of octopus? Oh. Is it octopi or octopuses? I believe it's octopuses, but the jury is still out, I Yeah, think. I've always gone octopi. So yeah. there you go. They were split here. Uh, anyway, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were about I to tell us. I thought you cast the vote. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't know. I've, I've, I've used both. Um, anyway, uh, that that is the big danger of the, uh, uh, the tunnel being drilled under the Arrow River at the moment. Watch out for giant squid slash octopuses <laughs> slash octopi uh, because they'll start if we start getting people or skeletons washed up on the on the at Newport boat ramp or something like that we'll know we've got a danger brilliant thank you Jeff so much you're welcome hey we might ask Julia um, because it's her child who's putting together the Kefla podcast so maybe they might be able to give us an answer yeah. on whether it's yes. octopuses <laughs> or octopi <laughs> We'll find out. Thanks so much, Jeff, very much. Thanks to uh, Charles Rees, our guest today. Thanks to Cabin Boy. Uh, thank you very much, Kate. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, Kent, very much. Uh, Kent's going to go through the revolving door and come back as his superhero alter ego <laughs> panel beater, <laughs> along with Dr Nick, I believe, and Prudence Deer and an hour of all things medical before Dr Shane and his crew take over for Einstein and Go-Go. And stay tuned to Radio uh, 3RRR for the entire day. I'll be doing that. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.